me too. Hi, Mark. Oh, it's good to talk to you, although it hasn't been that long, but it seems like a lot has happened. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about Sri Lanka, I think, or at least that's my plan. And if it's okay with you, I thought we would start by talking about the Sri Lankan airway airline guaranteed bond and how that relates to the great big pile of sovereign debt that the country itself has. I confess I wasn't paying that much attention to the airline bond for um, quite a while until you brought it to, to my attention. And it actually raised a number of questions that I thought were quite interesting about guaranteed bonds in general, but then the deeper I got about the Sri Lankan bond contracts in, in particular, and I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about both of them. So, so the weird thing from my perspective is that, as I understand it, investors usually think of the guaranteed corporate bonds, bonds guaranteed by the sovereign, but issued by a state-owned or another type of corporation, they think of them as riskier. You know, the sovereign is supposed to be the closest thing to a risk-free asset, and this isn't the sovereign, so it's a, uh, you know, it's not quite as a, uh, not quite as safe, and and the the coupon's a little bit higher for the airline bond. And I guess I I wanted to start by asking whether that made sense to you. It seems kind of strange to me, especially when there's not much money to go around. If I'm an investor, wouldn't I want the sovereign's backing plus a nice, tasty pool of assets like airplanes? Why, why isn't the the guaranteed bond the better one to hold? So you're asking a question near and dear to my heart. I, ever since the Greek restructuring in 2012, I've been obsessed with these government guaranteed bonds. And the perspective that you've taken, which I think is perhaps uh, the perspective of someone expecting a debt restructuring, strikes me as the right one. A guaranteed bond is what people in the business would call a two-paper bond meaning it, it has two entities that are backing it up, in this case, the sovereign and a company. So that should always be better than just a pure sovereign bond. But that is not how the market tends to view these, at least in my experience and from the one prior study that I did on this, which was about the Greek bonds. And uh, the market tends to view them as worse than the sovereign bonds. This, this is true if you look at the coupon on the Sri Lankan bond at issue in comparison to the regular Sri Lankan bonds as well. So this is, um, it is something of a puzzle. I would say when you get close to arbitrage, uh, not when you get close to a restructuring, it's sort of an arbitrage opportunity, although I'm probably using the word arbitrage 
incorrectly, but maybe there is some story about, you know, liquidity or something like that, that justifies the market pricing the regular bonds uh, better than the guaranteed bonds. But from a restructuring point of view, one should always prefer the guaranteed bonds. And that's not generally what you see. And my impression is that's not what we were seeing with the Sri Lankan bond uh, until now, although the Sri Lankan bond is so interesting for so many different other reasons. But I, I think you've, you have identified the basic question that one should ask whenever one sees one of these weird government guaranteed bonds. So um, it, it is a that bond that Sri Lankan Airlines has issued is indeed really weird. I wonder, before we start talking about those kinds of weeds, um, I've never flown Sri Lankan Airlines. Have you flown it? I have. I'm so glad you asked. I, I, I was, I, I was uh, concerned I wouldn't get to tell my story about the Sri Lankan Airlines. And uh, for anybody who's listening to this, this is not really a story about sovereign debt, but Sri Lankan Airlines is near and dear to my heart. Perhaps it's the reason why I paid special attention to this guaranteed bond in about, I think it was 2002 is when my father passed away. And that was very difficult for my family. We were very dependent on him. And I decided that I would take my mother on a trip. And she had had happy memories of going to Sri Lanka when she was very young. So I talked to our travel agent. We live in the southern part of India. And he said, look, I can get you a cheap ticket to Sri Lanka. And your mom's always wanted to go there. So you can take her. Maybe, you know, this this will be a nice change. It'll cheer her up. And I'm going to get you a business class ticket. And the travel agent was a childhood friend of mine. So he he specially got us the ticket, didn't charge us for it because it was a really short flight and I think it didn't cost anything. And my mom and I, at that point, we had never traveled business class. And uh, so it, it, was, it was just a wonderful airline. People were so nice. It was run, I think it was co-owned by Emirates, uh, which is a very fancy airline. And if you'll indulge me, uh, what happened during the flight, I, I have such happy memories about in our small town in India, uh, we didn't really have, get things like uh, marmalade. I, I think my mom had not eaten marmalade for like 30 years and they served us breakfast and those little bottles of uh, jam that they give you on the airline in business class. And she tasted that marmalade and she was so excited. And she turns to me and she says, can we take the unfinished part of this marmalade home? Can I put it in my bag? And I was horrified. I'm embarrassed. But you know how you're embarrassed by your parents sometimes, the things they want to do when you're like, Mom, you just don't do this in business class. This is not how business class passengers behave. And now, you know, this is our first trip on business class. We can't be stealing the marmalade. And she was so sad that when we exited the plane, the flight attendant must have heard our conversation. She gave my mom a bag of marmalade, like like 10, 12 
of these bottles, probably like everything that was in their pantry, she gave us and she said, ma'am, come back anytime you wish and I will have marmalade for you. And so, I, I mean, this is one of the happiest memories I have because my mom was smiling the whole way home after this flight. I don't think she remembered anything else about that en entire trip, but I feel sad for Sri Lankan Airlines because I, I have such happy memories about it. Uh, but the saga of Sri Lankan Airlines since then has been a, a very sad one. Well, it seems it seems not to be the airline it was when you flown it. Everything, uh, all of the news about it recently suggests that it's. I'm not quite sure how to put it, but I wouldn't want to lend it money these days, would you? Oh, it's so sad. So apparently, I mean, piecing together what I've read in the Sri Lankan press, that at some point, one of the people in the ruling family, uh, they were traveling on either Sri Lankan airline or one of its subsidiaries, and they wanted them and their family to be upgraded to business class and all the paying passengers to be downgraded to economy, and the airline refused to do it. And so this this politician got pissed off and said, you know, we're kicking out Emirates that's running the airline and we're going to make it a national airline again so that me and my family can travel business class. And apparently ever since then, they've just done nothing but lose hundreds of millions of dollars every year. I mean, is they seem to be losing like close to a million dollars a day or maybe I'm not. I mean, that seems like a staggering amount, but unbelievably crappy airline that yeah, does... I doubt that I doubt that's all um, the cost of flight attendant marmalade giveaways <laughs> you know I, I do feel guilty about the marmalade I, if you run an airline <laughs> like this if you're giving away stuff maybe that's how you make losses um, so the, all right the, the airline has fallen on hard times through mismanagement and interference from the royal ruling family. Um, all right, so so we can start thinking about it maybe as a entity that's going to need to be restructured. And these days as basically indistinguishable from the state itself, perhaps, or at least close enough to the state itself that they're if not the same credit, they're relatively close. It, it, it's it's going to have to be restructured. So the first thing I would do in that situation is I would start looking at the, the modification provisions to the bonds. And I would, you know, since the, the airline bond has always been backed by the state, and since you would expect them to need to be restructured together if a crisis hit, I would expect... I would expect those provisions to match. Now, I say this as if I really expect that. I don't, because as you and I both know, it's like completely, not just completely different people, but completely different specialists draft these instruments. But there are significant differences between the modification provisions in the airline bond here and the country bonds too, aren't there? There are. And I think you're being too generous to the drafters. So 
if we go back to Greece in 2012, or what, you can go even further back in time to Belize in 2007, but you know, I, I think it's understandable that Belize in 2007 and its problems with guaranteed debt are something that the world did not pay attention to. But Greece in 2012 was the biggest sovereign debt restructuring in modern history. And one of the huge problems there was they had all this guaranteed state debt, guarantees a backing up really crappy companies, just like the Sri Lankan airlines. So the Greek railroads comes to mind that also seem to be losing in the millions and millions of dollars, literally on a daily basis. And as you said, they're basically, if you're such a loss-making enterprise, you're basically the state. The state is just giving you all the money you need. But it turned out that these bonds had no restructuring mechanisms when it came to the guarantee aspect of the bond. And so Greece ended up asking bondholders, will you voluntarily restructure your bonds? And to the extent the bondholders were smart enough to give them the finger, uh, they paid the holders of the guaranteed bonds, these bonds on which they had actually paid a higher interest rate, they paid them in full. Uh, now, this story did not get a lot of attention in the press, but if you are a sovereign debt lawyer, uh, I mean, surely you know about this and you will put good modification provisions in the bond so that they can coordinate with all of the other modification provisions. Now, in the Sri Lankan airline bond, I mean, they do do better than the Greek bonds of a decade ago in that they have some modification provisions, but they have these prehistoric modification provisions from sort of pre-2002, even though this is a bond that was issued in 2019, and they're not coordinated with the other Sri Lankan international bonds. If, if you have to do a restructuring, you're gonna have to restructure this bond by itself in a separate process and then restructure everything else in a different process. And this is just a recipe for disaster. I mean, it just- well, The odd thing, as you point out, is the, is the timing. I mean, so Sri Lanka does have some old style and some newer style CACs in its uh, its own sovereign bonds. But this is drafted so far after the ICMA model CAC with its aggregation provision, after all of the hoopla and press about the supposed dangers of a non-aggregated CAC. I just don't, I don't understand why anyone would have been not alert to all of these changes in the market, which makes me think, you know, these lawyers are, are not dumb and they're not uninformed. So there must be an explanation. So what do you think that is? I mean, the, the one that occurs to me is just inertia. You know, it would be, I can't Maybe they're out there, but I can't think of a scenario where the a, a guaranteed bond explicitly 
provides that it, it can be aggregated with the sovereign's own bonds for purposes of a restructuring vote. Um, assuming I'm right about that, and maybe you'll tell me I'm wrong, maybe the answer here is just that it would be new and strange and nobody likes to put new and strange provisions into bonds. So I think you are generally uh, right. I mean, there are not that many sovereign guaranteed bonds out there. The Europeans during the European uh, sovereign debt crisis, uh, they loved guaranteed bonds and issued a ton of sovereign guaranteed bonds in part because it was a way, a way of uh, dodging the the statistics on debt, if you had a guaranteed bond, you didn't count it in your national statistics. So even though you had to pay more for it, countries found them very popular. But I do think that the handful that I've looked at, some of them done by our friend uh, Antonia Stoper when she was at Sherman Sterling, and she's, she's still there, but I, she used to do a lot of these bonds. And she certainly put in aggregation provisions in in the guaranteed bond, sovereign guaranteed bonds that she worked on. But I, I think you're right. For most of them, it's just that the people who do the guaranteed bonds are just a different set of lawyers than the ones who do the sovereign bonds. Maybe they're the same lawyers who, you know, work on the the, the airlines, other legal stuff, and they they just don't get the memos. Or I mean, the other possibility that our students would surely point out to us is, you know, maybe the investors in the airline bond were smarter and they demanded uh, stronger legal protections. And they said, look, we, we, this is a really crappy company. And if the sovereign has to restructure, we want to get paid in full. And so we're going to use really old style restructuring provisions to make sure we never get restructured. Does that sound like a plausible story to you? I, I'm getting the impression you don't really find that that plausible. Well, that's just not, that's a very roundabout way and very indirect uh, and maybe ineffective way of accomplishing that goal. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that one explanation is that these investors wanted something more like an unconditional guarantee, but you don't doesn't make sense to try to achieve your unconditional guarantee by writing a crappy, useless CAC into the contract. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, maybe they're just super clever and we can't prove it. But one way to look at this, and I'm wondering whether uh, I can take you there. Uh, are there other provisions in this bond that uh, that show that investors were super, super smart and paying a special attention and trying to produce bulletproof provisions? Oh, I don't know that I see pr provisions that I would describe quite that way, but I do see other sort of funky differences between the airline bond and the sovereign's own bond. And one of the ones I, I was hoping to talk a little bit about had to do with the limitation on liens provisions in, in both sets of bonds, in fact, which is sort of the, the standard, I guess, in, in another context, I'd call it a negative pledge clause that says, you know, you issuer won't give anybody, uh, you won't issue any secured 
debt unless you secure us equally and rateably with uh, whoever these new collateralized lenders are. So, and- uh, Mark, it does. I also noticed this um, limitation on liens, which, I, I mean, to me, it just seems like the standard negative pledge clause is just these these folks drafting it uh, decided to call it limitation on liens. And my initial impression is that the, the Sri Lankan airline investors are super smart and uh, their negative pledge clause is actually... Um, well, I mean, I, I couldn't even find the negative pledge clause in this bond, but I, I thought there was one um, uh, particularly smart as, aspect of it, and maybe you'll correct me. So, but but let me let me explain. So that the Sri Lankan regular sovereign bonds, they have uh, a negative pledge clause, and that negative pledge clause right at the bottom of the negative pledge clause, which says, you know, you can't give new security interests to any new lender unless you secure us with the, the security interests you gave them on an equal basis. It has an exception. As all negative pledge clauses do, it has an exception. And at this exception, which is weirdly drafted, but let's not get into that right now. This exception says, we don't believe that this negative pledge clause applies to the central bank and using central bank pledging Sri Lanka's international monetary assets and international monetary assets is stuff like uh, foreign exchange reserves, uh, gold reserves, uh, stuff at the IMF in their reserve account, although puzzles me as to how you can pledge stuff in the IMF reserve account. But there is the the sovereign bonds have an exception to the negative pledge clause that allows the central bank seemingly to pledge valuable assets that the country has. And right now, as we're like on the brink of a crisis, this seems crucially important, like a really good thing to have in your bonds. And the Sri Lankan airline bond doesn't have this. So it seems like another case of the Sri Lankan airline investors being super smart and making their bond super protected. Well, so I so this is where I was going to going to be taking us, although I I think there are even more unusual aspects of the limitation on liens provision that maybe we'll have time to talk about. But you know, normally you start with, as you say, this relatively standard negative pledge type clause. And then normally where I where I look to find out just how protective that clause is, is in this long list of formal exceptions that say the issuer actually can grant collateral in the following cases, and, and then it lays them out. But what I haven't seen before is this language you describe, which might be unnecessary in the sense that it might always be true. But the language says that the central bank holds international monetary assets because the central bank is a judicial entity separate from the issuer. The issuer believes that the limitation on liens covenant basically doesn't apply to international monetary assets in the central bank's possession. So so there's, there's two things that strike me as as odd about this, at least two things. So one is, 
it might just be saying explicitly something that is always true, because for the most part, these negative pledge clauses talk about what the issuer can and can't do. And it's true that the central bank is typically a legally separate entity. And so maybe the central bank is always free to pledge, uh, pledge its assets. So that's one unusual thing. Maybe this is just stating the obvious. But the other thing that strikes me as really weird is that if this is not just stating the obvious, if this is, is um, really an exception to the effect of the negative pledge clause, who the hell would draft it this way? It's not even written as an exception. It's written as a statement about the issuer's belief about how the contract should be interpreted. What does that mean? That does, how does that help? Uh, you need to say we have an exception. The central bank is allowed to do this. Who cares what you believe? Have you ever seen something like this? I haven't. This is <laughs> So can I add to the complication? I think there are at least two levels of, but I'm going to ask you these one by one. So first, the reason I thought it was an exception is because if memory serves, it's in the exception section except uh, you are correct to point out it's at the bottom of the exception section where it just says, we believe X. Yeah, and there then... are a bunch of enumerated exceptions and this one is not enumerated. It's just a paragraph sitting there at the bottom. Like we didn't bother to put this in the exceptions list. Right, but it, the other thing is it's not in the airline bond. So, like in the airline bond, I can't find any mention of this exception. So, it, I mean, if it's an exception uh, in the regular bond, but not an exception in the airline bond, does that mean that like, and then, oh yeah, um, in the airline bond, it says that if you, if the central bank or the sovereign loses control or like reduces control of the international monetary assets, it's an event of default. Well, so hold really on, let's, let's, let's get there later. Let's get to the event of default later, because I think that's going to like, that's going to maybe confuse things. But oh, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. Like who, like, okay, now I'm, I'm really not convinced that this is a beautifully drafted contract uh, set. It, this just seems like the most crappily drafted contract there is. But anyway, The, the government's one is extremely odd because the government's negative pledge clause has this weird exception that's not an exception that's maybe just restating something that is always true it's all very very strange the sri lankan air bond to me is weird both because it does not have that similar exception it also doesn't even have a, a limitation on liens provision so that's unusual but let's let's now focus on just on the sri lankan bond for a second because i do want to talk about that event of default you mentioned so the sri lankan bond one way to read it is the limitation on liens clause prevents us from uh, subordinating you to a later secured lender. But, but the central bank can effectively subordinate you, at least with regard to international monetary reserves. That's what the limitation on liens provision seems to say. But then the, the same bond lists it as an event of default if either the issuer or the central bank 
shall not at any time exercise full ownership, power, and control over any of their international monetary assets. So, you know, we can argue over what this means, but one of the things it could be read to say is that, sure, the central bank can grant a lien in international monetary assets, and it won't be violating the limitation on liens provision, but it will create an event of default uh, under the sovereign's own bonds. What kind of sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense. So it it feels like they're like somebody who put in this like special language about the central bank. And well, of course, uh, you all know that the central bank can pledge its assets, like forgot to delete the like event of default that said the central bank could not uh, pledge the assets. So, I mean, it looks to me that there are two parts of this document that are not working in sync, just like the airlines modification provisions are not working in sync with the rest of the Sri Lankan debt stock within the Sri Lankan regular sovereign bonds. There, uh, you know, this weird exception for central bank pledging the assets seems to be working uh, in the opposite direction of the events of default. So, I mean, maybe they'll get, go to an English court. I think, th- I think that's another one of the weird things about this. This, this, the airline bond is under English law. All the other bonds are under New York law. Like, what are, what are they envisioning is going to happen in a restructuring? But put that aside. Maybe somehow, like the court in England which is like an arbitral proceeding, uh, is going to coordinate with the litigation in the U.S. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm not even sure like how this is going to work, but bottom line, if I were a hypothetical debt restructurer, I got to think this is a nightmare I don't want. This is the situation is really urgent. I have to do a fast restructuring to get Sri Lanka back on its feet. I'm just going to pay this damn airline bond in full because it's only 175 million and, and, you know, then deal with the bulk of the other debt. I mean, I realize that for a country that is suffering, this, this is just really, really adding insult to injury because I mean, the airline should not have been borrowing on the international markets in the first place. I don't know. What's your prediction? Oh, I, I mean, I am inclined to think that you're right and that it's going to be easier just to pay the airline bond in full. And, you know, it, maybe part of the reason for that is that the airline is much more exposed to creditors than the sovereign is. You know, it's got these giant flying commercial assets that are useless if they don't leave the country's borders. So, you know, um, that's got to be a, a, a consideration as well. So maybe the the airline bondholders get paid in full. I just to provide a little more context as we as we wrap up, just thinking about the the holders of the sovereign's own bonds. You know, I could imagine a circumstance where it might be convenient to grant a lien to some country or some entity that's providing sort of emergency financing here. And I have to think that the 
oddity of the country's limitation on liens provision. It, it is both a, a detriment to doing that, but me too. Also, in some ways, it, it gives the, the Sri Lankans a lot of room to issue secure debt. And, and the, one of the reasons why that is, and I want, maybe we can close with this, is there's a very strange provision that allows a really small proportion of bondholders to waive that limitation on liens provision. Did you notice that in the, in the Sri Lankan bonds? Oh my goodness, you are so right. And I totally forgot about that. Isn't that, okay, so since you've looked at this more uh, more recently than I have, but I, I is it like that, that, that there is one part of the bond that says that in order to, like two, there are two ways you can grant uh, security interest on, on like valuable assets that Sri Lanka has. One is to secure the debt, the existing debt equally and rateably with the new security interest, which of course they can't do during the crisis. But the other way is if the old debt holders buy a vote of 66 and 67% agree to grant the new security interest there's some provision that like somewhere else in the bond allows you to like get around this requirement with a lower vote. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So, so here's the way I understand it. And the provisions are a little bit complicated, but you know, the, the limitation on liens provision says, look, if we grant someone else a lien, we have to secure you equally and rateably. Or if we don't secure you equally and rateably, we have to give you some other kind of protection. And if we do that, the protection will be sufficient under the limitation on liens clause only if two thirds uh, approval. So there's, you can have something other than equal and rateable treatment as long as two thirds of the bondholders approve it. So that's, that's sort of the core requirement of the limitation on liens provision. And then I would think that if the country wanted to do something that was forbidden by that core requirement, it would have to modify the bonds in whatever, in accordance with whatever the voting threshold was for that. And looking at this July bond, I think the modification threshold would probably be about two thirds as well. Um, I'd have to check the reserve matter list, but I think the idea is that you would need two thirds approval. To, to modify the bond, to change or remove the limitation on liens provision. But here's the part that I think is, is quite odd. There's yet another provision of the bond. It's, it's captioned waiver of certain covenants, and it lets a bare majority in principal amount of the holders waive compliance with the limitation on liens provision. So you can actually issue secure debt with only 50% approval, which I think is really quite extraordinary. I mean, in some cases, I would expect a modification of the limitation on liens of negative pledge to be a reserved matter, you know, the highest possible voting threshold. Here, it's like a special super low voting threshold. (laughs) And again, this is like, I mean, it's just, I mean, it seems like this. This is not a not a contract where the different parts of the same contracts are coordinated particularly well. But I, I am I am guessing that we have confused 
our readers um, sufficiently. And I'm also thinking that I'm never going to get any more marmalade on Sri Lankan <laughs> airlines. In fact, they might never let me fly on Sri Lankan airlines again. But this seems like a good place for us to end before we confuse people even further. Agreed.